Recorded live from the Hammett Point Studios in Lyman, South Carolina. It's the All Seven Days Podcast. Stan Fields and Trevor Montgomery sporting a brand new haircut and a longer beard. We'll answer your questions today from the perspective of a couple of church members just having conversations about spiritual matters. The Bible gets to define truth and our minds and perspectives get to conform to that truth. You can send your question in at ask at all 7 dayscom 864-660-9473. You can leave a voicemail or text there. You can join the All 7 Days Hangout on Facebook and interact with us there. And you can subscribe on all your favorite podcasting apps. Get mugs and t-shirts, all7days.com slash shop. Support the podcast on a monthly basis. Even a dollar a month helps. Anchor.fm slash all 7 days. Thanks for listening today. And hey, Trevor, happy Father's Day. Thank you, Stan. It's actually, happy Father's Day to you well, and you Grandfather's much. Day. Well, I, you know, I am a grandfather, as they say. Um, you can either you can put those two words together, or you can separate them. Grandfather, and uh, <laughs> it it uh, we are recording a couple of days after Father's Day. Um, mine was good. Um, we did we did church, taught class. And then came home, had lunch with Cody and Kristen, my son and his wife. Then had a FaceTime conversation with my daughter and our two grand granddaughters. So that was really good. Um, watched a lot of baseball and a lot of golf. We had uh, the Braves had a doubleheader. So they played two games. And I watched the U.S. Open. So I uh, I saw the picture that you had uh, of the setup at your house with the two TVs going. <laughs> That's right. And who got the big TV? Pam got the big TV. The, Bra- <laughs> the Braves are on the big TV, and the golf is on the little TV. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, that was uh, that was how we compromised on that one. Uh, nice. But uh, but yeah, it was a good day. How about your Father's Day? I went to church, uh, came home and ate, and then. We all went to the pool and oh. swam and had a good time. And then we came back to Hannah's house, my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And is that, is that str- I, let, me just, let me just interrupt you right there. Is that strange sure. to say, my girlfriend? Yes. It, is it an, <laughs> is it an age thing? <laughs> yes, I think so. I think so too. It, it 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 sounds strange coming out of your mouth. So, um. And that's, that's because I've known you for a long time and you have yet to see anyone on a serious basis. And I didn't mean yeah. for this to take this turn, but, um, I just, that, that phrase coming from you at your age, young man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just, yeah. it just feels a little, uh, it feels a little middle school. So what should I, signif- my significant I, other? You know, I don't, I don't really like that one either. Um, however, it, I think it sounds better than girlfriend. Okay. My lady friend. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds worse, doesn't it? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, what's her name? Hannah. Hannah. See, that's, that's, that's the other strange thing is because my daughter's name is Hannah. So it's like your, it sounds like your girlfriend is my daughter, but that's not the case. (laughs) It's not the case. Not the case at all. So, all right. So we'll, we'll sort through that at another time. But so anyway, your, your significant lady friend person hannah okay finish your story now now that i've we we uh swam and then we came back to her house and i grilled up some steaks for everybody 
we had steak on Father's Day, but the cool thing that I was going to tell you about earlier, because you mentioned getting coffee, she bought me a Keurig coffee maker oh, for the house. Nice. That's that's so, really nice. She so, she upgraded my coffee game. That's cool. So um, there are all styles of Keurig uh, coffee makers. Mm-hmm. So the the absolute best one that I've ever used in an office setting was one that, that you could hook a water line to so you never had to refill it. Oh, that's fancy. And it was so nice for the time they let us keep it. We, we were actually leasing it. It's one of those coffee service things. Oh. And they set it up, but they didn't hook the line up. But I realized that it had the capability of that. And I hooked it up. It was because we had where they set it up. There used to be a refrigerator that had an ice maker in it. So the line was there. All I had to do was get the hose and connect it. And I did. And it was awesome. And then they said, oh, we gave you the wrong coffee maker. They disconnected the whole thing and took it away. And gave us one. <laughs> we had to dump water in. So uh, so I was kind of disappointed. But but that's, that's very nice. That's very nice. So do you have a favorite Keurig coffee that you put in it? Well, actually, I just took it out of the box today and hooked it up because my parents are coming into town tomorrow, and I okay. figured they would they would enjoy that. And so I'm going to give it a run tomorrow morning for the first time. That'll be awesome. But I usually just do like the donut shop flavored because I did that when I was at your house when yeah. I come over. Yeah, those are good. Those are good. We have gotten cheap in our old age, so we check the Amazon deal of the day kind of deal and look for the biggest box we can get for the least amount of money so we're you know if you if you go to the grocery store you're paying 40 50 cents a pod right right we get them for you know like 18 cents a pod how's the taste compared to you know it's coffee it's yeah. coffee some are some are better I've than that's a pretty bad coffee though that's true that's very true <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of, that's kind of how we do our coffee fix for the Keurig. But we drink so much coffee in the morning that we have to do the drip. We have to make a full pot of drip for the morning. So the coffee for the Keurig is just for the evening. Yeah. I do two cups max in a day and that's it. Oh, we, we're just getting started at two. (laughs) We're just getting started. And yesterday, so that's another piece of information I guess we can give the listeners. I don't know, you know, if they're following. Um, uh, yesterday I had my six-month blood work and CT scan for, you know, the since post-cancer thing. Um, I've already gotten the results. I see the doctor Friday to get the official results, but they're all clear. Everything was came out great. But yesterday morning I could not. I had to go in fasting for the blood work and the CT scan. So I was, I was... I was missing my coffee. I was not a happy person when I got home. But but I'm sure you drank some coffee as soon as you got home. Dog on straight, I did. I hooked up the. I had to had them leave the IV in because you know they do the contrast <laughs> stuff. I said just leave that in. I'm gonna put some coffee in that when I get home. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we have got a uh, we've got a question about pity parties um, today, and it's biblical biblical pity party. Uh, Debbie sends in this question. Hello, Debbie. I love you very much. It's my sister, Debbie. And uh, we'll, we're going to talk about Elijah and his issues with uh, with people in his life causing him problems. 
and uh, she wants to know why you had a pity party. So we'll get into that right after we take this quick break. This is the All 7 Days Podcast. We're back at the All 7 Days Podcast. You can send your questions in, and just like Debbie did, here's her question. And it's, it's more of a paragraph. So here we go. Elijah went through rigorous training in preparation for Mount Carmel. Uh, and she lists a couple of them here called Cherith, and we'll, we'll talk about these, Cherith Zarephath experiences that he has that, then he has that famous slam dunk victory over the prophets of Baal. And from that victory, he hears that Jezebel is out to get him and he sits down in a puddle of pity. What? What happened? Why did it happen? What lessons do we need to learn from this? How do we overcome such tendencies? And what do we do when we find ourselves in a puddle of pity? So I think, Trevor, this, this needs a little scene setting. This, you can't just drop in the middle of this story and figure out what's going on right. And we talk about context a lot here on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of context around this story. So Ezekiel is a prophet of God. Um, and in first, we find this story in first Kings. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to lead up to it. If you, if you read through first Kings, it's it first, first Kings and second Kings are a chronological recording of the Kings of Israel. All right. So that's why they're called Kings. All right. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a recording of who was King, when, how long they reigned, what they did, how they behaved. And uh, there's some interminglings of prophets that deal with these kings along the way, right? So, um, coming up through, up to chapter 16 in First Kings, we see a list of all these kings that did this and that and whatever. And following the following the the listing of who they are and how long they reigned, there is normally this phrase. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord or something like that, right? So all these kings are coming after each other. It's usually the son of the king or whatever that is the next king. And it says, and he, he was king of Israel and he reigned for such and such years. And for instance, here's, uh, here's uh, just before the, uh, the, just at the end of chapter 15, in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, the son of Ahijah, began to reign over all Israel at Tizra or Terza, and he reigned twenty-four years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, so there's this, there's this whole, and, and this, this too, and you hear, you hear it heard in that also in the third year of King Asa, king of Judah, Basha, the son of Asia, began to reign over all of Israel. So. He, that what that's talking about there is there's there's two kings going on at the same time because the kingdom of Israel has split at this point. There's the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. So, um, so here here it's talking about that and he did evil and he did evil and he did evil. So this is going on and on and on. Then when we get to uh, chapter sixteen and verse twenty nine, we start talking about um, uh, Ahab ruling in Israel. Now listen to what it says about when Ahab comes to reign in in Israel. It says in verse 29 in, in chapter 16 of first, of first Kings, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, 
Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned in Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now listen to what it says. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So up to this point in time, God says, this is the worst king they've ever had. (laughs) And he was more evil than any that had come before him. Okay? That's the setting that we're in. Ahab is the worst king of all time for Israel, the most evil king to this point. Okay? It says, and, is, and as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took his wife Jezebel, now there's a name that we all know, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidians, Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. So he's an idol worshiper with his wife Jezebel. He erected an altar for, the, for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Azra, which is a, uh, an Azra is a, is a pole in the air where they did, let's just say, since this is a family show, horrific things around it, right? Uh, we'll just leave it at that. If you want to research that and Azra poles and that kind of stuff, uh, it's not pretty. Um, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel to anger than all the Kings of Israel who were before him. Okay. That's what Elijah comes into, right? He's, it's the most evil kingdom that's ever been in Israel. Okay. Now, so we keep reading and now we're in chapter 17 of 1 Kings. Now, Elisha the Tishbite uh, uh, of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord of God Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and go turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook uh, uh, Cherith. And this is what Debbie mentions in her thing. This is one of the training grounds he, that she says he has. And the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan, you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. And when he lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Okay, and after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So Elijah comes to Ahab, the most evil king there has been, and, and God is, is passing judgment that there will be, not be rain until Elijah says so. So God has come to Elijah and says, "Go tell Ahab there's not going to be any rain until I tell you, until I say otherwise." And then he tells uh, God tells Elijah to go to this brook Cherith and stay there, and the birds feed him. <laughs> okay, this is incredible, right? So. Yeah. The God is feeding Elijah by having ravens bring him meat and bread two times a day, and he's drinking from the brook. Okay, and now it's been it hasn't rained in so long that now the brook has dried up. So here comes the next training ground that she talks about in Zarephath, right? Um. So uh, in verse eight, First Kings chapter seventeen. 
the word of the Lord came to him, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug shall not be empty, until the day of the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Okay, so here's what Elijah's gone to now. Zarephath, he meets a widow, and God says he's instructed this widow to feed him, and he finds the widow gathering sticks, and what she's gathering the sticks for is to build one last fire because she's got a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour left. She's going to make one more little cake of bread for her and her son. They're going to eat it, and that's all they got left. And they plan to starve and die after that because there's no rain, right? The right. famine is hitting the land. And he says, go and make me a, make me a little bit to eat first. Because God has told me that that little jar of oil and that little piece of flour that you've got won't be used up until it rains again. Okay? And she went and did as Elijah said. This is verse 15. And she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. So here we have two great things of faith for Elijah. He says to Ahab, it's not going to rain until I say so, God said. Then he leaves, gets fed by birds, and drinks from the brook until the brook dries up. Then he goes to the widow who has just a little bit of provisions left to eat. And that little bit of provisions feeds them for a good long time because God wouldn't let it run out. Okay? So God provides food for them. Then, the next piece that uh, happens is... The widow's son dies. Okay? So here is Elijah living with this widow and her son. And it's and, and her son dies. And Elijah is distraught. And so is, so is the woman, of course. So in verse 17, same chapter, we read on, After this, the son of the woman, the, of the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him, in her, took him from her arms and carried him up to the upper chamber where he lodged and laid on him on his bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord is of uh, your mouth is truth. So here we have Elijah, right? Okay. He's come to the most evil king 
said it's not going to rain, goes and gets fed by the birds, drinks from the brook. The brook dries up. He goes to live with a widow. She feeds him from her modest portions for until, you know, until it rains again, right? And her son dies, and Elijah has raised him from the dead by praying to God, right? These are the things that he's in faith, right? He's been walking with God through famine, and he's not gone thirsty or hungry, and he's raised a little boy to life. Great, you know, this is this feels like, dude, you have the world by the tail, right? Yes. Your faith is so great, right? Now he comes to the big showdown, and this is the really famous story of Elijah defeating the prophets of Baal. Now, um, I'm, just, I'm not going to read that part, but basically... He goes to the prophets of Baal, and this is, you know, this is the reason God is bringing judgment on this land, because Ahab has started Baal worship, and the prophets of Baal come, and and Elijah challenges them. Right, he says, "Build an altar, put your sacrifice on it, and you pray to your God, Baal, and let him rain down fire from heaven, and if he can do it." then we'll all worship Baal and we'll move on from there. But if he can't, and my God can, then we're all going to worship him because he's the true God. And by the way, all you prophets of Baal, we're going to kill you. <laughs> so they take, him, they take him on, right? They build the altar, they make the sacrifice, they put the meat on the altar, and they start doing their prayers and all this kind of stuff, and nothing's happening. And Elijah teases them and, and goads them on, and he says, look, Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe your God is traveling and he can't hear you. Or maybe he's taking a dump. He says that, right? It says, you know, it's a little nicer language in the in the Bible. But, but yeah, it says maybe he's relieving himself and he can't be disturbed. So so they get they get wound up. They start cutting themselves. They they go they you know, it's really ramped up, you know, bail hear us kind of stuff and nothing happens. Then Elijah, after, after all that, he says, well, now it's my turn. And he, has, he resets up the altar because they're all of their stuff trying to get Baal to set, bring fire down to set the, set the fire on the, on the altar. Didn't work. The altar's all messed up. He re, rebuilds the altar, resets the sacrifice, and then has them build like a moat or trench around the altar. And he says... Now dump water on it. And they dump water after water after water on top of the altar until the trench around it is full of water. And then he just says a simple prayer. God, so these people know that you are the God of the universe, or you know, you are God. Please send down fire from heaven. And immediately fire comes down. It consumes the entire altar and the water. It's all burned up, right? And then he has all the prophets of Baal slaughtered. Okay. So, um, Ahab is a witness to all this, and Ahab goes home and talks to his wife Jezebel. And in verse 19, or I'm sorry, chapter 19 of 1 Kings, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) 
Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Now, so let's recap what happens after Elijah is threatened with death. He runs. He's scared. It says uh, he was afraid and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba. And he sat down under a broom tree and he said, God, just take me out. And then he lays down and he goes to sleep. And he sleeps for a while and an angel comes, wakes him up and feeds him and gives him something to drink. And he ate it and he drank it and he laid back down and he went back to sleep. And then an angel wakes him up again, feeds him again. And that food lasted him for 40 days and 40 nights on his journey to Horeb. Now, does that sound like a pity party? No. What does it sound like? Uh, he was, I mean, he went through a whole lot and it seems like it happened fairly within a short amount of time, all this stuff happening. Yeah. He might be exhausted. I think, um, he's, I think that's exactly right. I think he is tired. He slept. He slept these two big, I don't know. I don't know. Call them naps. I don't know how long he slept, but he slept long enough between meals that he had to eat again. Right. Right. So, um, and maybe that's not the pity party she's talking about, but I do think to this point, the man's just flat out exhausted. Um, Bradley talks all the time, just preaching two sermons on a Sunday, Sunday afternoon. He's whipped. He's yeah. done. He, you know, he doesn't want to do anything else but rest, take a nap, whatever. And now, see, and and Elijah to this point has, you know, I'm not sure how long this has gone on, but it's close to. It's close to three. The famine, the drought that we talk about lasts for three years. And this has to be coming towards the end of that, right? Mm -hmm. um, so he's been dealing with being fed by birds and living with this widow for almost three years now. And now he's had this huge battle with the prophets of Baal. And who knows how long they took to do their prayer and, you know, all this kind of stuff. I don't know if it was a day. I don't know if it was days, but I'm sure he gave them plenty of time to exhaust themselves. Right. And then in that, you know, he's, he's been up watching this whole thing. 
and participating somehow in, in this whole thing. And then how long does it take for them to rebuild the altar, put the stuff back together, dig the trench, dump the water on it. And then I, I think when, I think when you got the threat, I think just like any of us, right? We're just tired and we know we don't have the strength for the next fight. We just need to go find some rest. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think he was afraid, legitimately afraid for his life. And I don't know if there's anything wrong with that, right? Paul, when he was, when he was about to be scourged by the Roman soldier, said, you know, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. Is this legal? And they had to stop and find out for sure if he was a Roman citizen kind of thing. Um, so there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, finding respite where we can find it, whether that's legally or whether that's, you know, there's nothing said he had to just stand there and fight Jezebel. Right. There was more for him to do. And since God said, it's not going to rain again until you say so, Elijah. Right. If Jezebel had killed him, he wouldn't have been able to say so. And it might still not be raining <laughs> over there. Right. <clears throat> so, you know, I think he had to, I think he had to find some rest. I think he had to find some peace. I think he had to recharge. So he goes and lays down under this broom tree, and God helps him with that. He feeds yeah. him. He gives him rest, and enough so that he was able to take this 40-day journey to Horeb. Okay. I have I have a th- uh, extra thought to add in there. Okay. So it said Ahab was the worst king, the most evil king yep. over any other king. Yep. Most evil people don't get married to very nice people. They probably marry somebody equally as evil. Yep. And so when she said something like that, I'm pretty sure he was afraid. I mean, this yes. woman probably wasn't a saint. And she's queen. So, you know, yeah. she's right up there with kings. So when they say stuff, it's law, right? And it has to right. happen. So so I think to this point, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw Elijah under the pity party bus at this point. Now we do have um, we do have another pla- another place where she might be talking about. So let's continue in the story. Let's look at verse nine. Then there came then he came to a cave and he lodged in it. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" And here's here's where Elijah may turn on the pity party just a little bit. So let's 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 see what he says. He said, "I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant." thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I am left. Even I only am left. So he's saying I'm the only one left and they seek my life to take it away. So he's saying, I'm the only person who follows you in this country that's left. I'm the, I'm the only one. And he said, and God says to him, go out, and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood on the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, Again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says the same thing. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets of the sword. 
and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall appoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you got to practice these things, right? Yeah. You shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the, war, from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. I, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Okay. So here, God is telling Elijah what's going to happen. Who's going to take the place of Ahab and the other king of, of Judah? And who's going to take his place as prophet? And he's also telling him, I leave 7,000. There's 7,000 more of my people in Israel that have not bowed down to Baal and not kissed him. So they've not participated in any kind of Baal worship. They're still faithful to God. There's still 7,000. Here, Elijah thinks he's the only one. He's the only one left. I'm the only one who's been faithful to you, God. No, I got 7,000 more where you came from, Elijah. Um, maybe, maybe that's where there was a little bit of pity party coming on from, from Elijah. And... But that's, you know, so, so maybe that's where the question comes from. But when we look back, uh, Elijah is not the only one who asked God to put him down. Uh, Moses did. Look back in Numbers chapter 11. Moses said, just, just, just do away with me. Um, Jeremiah asked for it as well in Jeremiah 20. So um, Elijah is not alone in this when he, when he comes to the point in where he just thinks there's no point in me going on it's it's a sin for me to take my own life i'm not going to do that so god you just do that for me save me the misery of what i'm going through take me out and uh let's just be done with this and of course god's plan is always better than ours and he says no i'm not going to do that you're not the only one left um we've got i've got seven thousand more um, but that's not, that's not really Debbie's question. Her, her question is, well, what happened? Well, first of all, I do, th I do think he was tired. I do think his perspective got a little narrow. Um, and what, what lessons can we learn from this? I think, I think the lessons we can learn from this and to not go into those tendencies of, oh, it's just me. I'm just, I'm just here by myself. Um, what we can learn from this is a couple of things. I think number one, we, we need to, we need to remember God is sovereign and God is in control of everything that's going on, right? There's, there's not any rogue molecules. He's he, everything that's going on in the, in the universe, he's commanding and controlling, which when we, when we have that understanding it helps us to walk through even the difficult times when we're exhausted, right? Right. Everything that Elijah did was in God's will. Because I know that because 
He did it. It happened. And God doesn't, you know, nothing happening, nothing's happening outside of his will. Okay. We've talked about that in the past. And sometimes that's hard to get our head around. But uh, Elijah being able to remove himself from a while and get the rest that he needed in order to come back and have God explain things to him, right, and help him understand his situation, it was exactly what Elijah needed to do. Okay. So we need to understand that God's in control and that we're not alone in this. Number one, God is with us and there's always more out there that God has of his own people who will carry on after we're done, right? Right. This the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. And so we have to trust that that's true. All right. So how do we overcome these tendencies is her question. I think understanding those two things um, are helpful. But the other thing I think we can do is uh, Elijah to me was very isolated in this whole scenario. Right. And I'm not saying that's that's I mean, I mean, he was he was in a pretty desperate situation and. I think for us, we're not we're not prophets, right? We're not we don't have God speaking directly to us, saying, "Hey, Ahab, we're not you're not going to be raining here for three years." Blah, 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 you know, that's not happening to us. At least I don't think it is. But God has provided a church for us and small groups in those churches. I think we need to surround ourselves with people who will keep our head straight, right? Mm-hmm. When we come to the point where we think I'm, I'm the only one left. Well, that's because we've isolated ourselves, right? We haven't had anyone around us to build us up, to encourage us, to pray for us, to, uh, you know, help us take next steps and move into what God's calling us to do, even no matter how hard it is. And we tend to lose sight of when we're, when we're isolated like that, that there are people around us that are, you know, trying to do what God wants them to do as well. So it's harder for us to get frustrated and tired when we're sharing the burden with others. Right. So that's that I think is one of our biggest things. And and also not, of course, forsaking the assembly as as Paul says. Uh we need to go to church. We need to be surrounding ourselves with people of like mind and participating in worship. Yeah. And I mean, prime example, he went and hid in a cave. And God said, what are you doing here? Yeah. And I mean, most people, you know, when they feel like they're all alone, what's the first thing they do? They go and they hide. Yeah. Yeah. Because nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody has been through my circumstance. Yeah. So nobody can help me. And if and that's, I, and that's if I told lie. them, yeah. And if I told them they wouldn't understand. Right. You know, that kind but of thing. But there's so many people that go through this the same situations, maybe it's right. a little bit different, but it's very similar. Yeah. And there's no way to get out of that if you're not surrounded by people. It's so true. And, I believe, and I'm a firm believer that the reason we go through what we go through is so we can help others who are going through something similar. I mean, yes. that's that's one of the main reasons we do that, right? We, we go through a hard time so we can minister to other people when they go through hard times similar to what we've gone through. There's so many people I've come in contact with since my cancer um, thing that have gone through similar scenarios, not exactly right, but, you know, similar 
diagnosis or similar type surgeries or similar whatever that we we parallel a little bit and there's so much comfort number one for the person receiving this information that hey this is what you're going to go through this is how what you can expect kind of thing and the opposite is true hey um you know when they come and ask hey what what can i expect there's there's this mutual comfort in knowing that number one you didn't go through it for nothing and number two, that you can help somebody go through something similar. Um, it's, it's, I think it's, you know, it's the brilliant plan of God to help us minister to each other when we go through things like that. Yeah, I mean, we always talk about Paul. Look at all the things that Paul went through. Oh, my word, um, yeah. I, I don't think people would have believed half the things Paul was preaching if he didn't go through hardships. So, so, yeah, I think it's very true. And he, and he always said, you know, um, if I'm going to live, it's going to be to glorify Christ because he's my greatest treasure. And when I die, it gets better because I gain Christ mm-hmm. fully. So, yeah, it's very true. Very true. Uh, and I think that's that's what gave him, that's what made his testimony so great, so believable. It's because he had that mindset. Yeah. So yeah, so so Deb, I believe I believe there might have been a little pity party here. I think you're right. Um, I'm not going to call it a puddle. I'm not going to call it a puddle, but I will say that he probably had his perspective a little off. But I'm going to cut him some slack because he was tired, and he'd been through a bunch, right? I mean, when we go through stuff, we tend to get a little inward focused, and God had to correct his thinking, and it didn't take long. And it wasn't long after that happened that Ahab had a change and a turn. Jezebel gets killed, and there's rain on the land, and the famine was over. So um, it's tough when you got a crazy woman after you. <laughs> Deb, maybe you're the cause of some pity parties. <laughs> <laughs> you, you said it, not <laughs> no. Edit, no, no, no. No, no, edit that one. Out. <laughs> don't be, don't be the cause of a pity party. Oh no. my goodness. Uh, anyway, awesome. Well, uh, Deb, I'm sure you'll let me know if I got this wrong. <laughs> but I love you. Don't cause me to have a pity party. Oh man. Anything else, Trevor? Before we wrap it up. No, I enjoyed that. That was good. That was good. I think there was some underlying uh, lessons to be learned there with those stories. So, yeah, I will. uh, I will say for our next question, it's going to be it's it's a when we first hear when you first hear the question, you're going to say what? But the way we're going to spin it and take a look at what we're going to take a look at, this is a really bad. tease for next week's podcast but um i think we're gonna i think we're gonna have some really great things to talk about we're gonna talk about the humanity of jesus next podcast and it's gonna be i think it's gonna give us some really good insights so really good stuff so uh all right i think that's it so let's wrap it up thanks for uh listening um remember Questions, comments, conundrums, whatever's, ask at all7days.com. 864-660-9473, voicemail or text. 
Let others know about the podcast. We would appreciate that. Share it. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, support us, all7days.com slash shop, anchor.fm slash all7days. This is the All 7 Days Podcast, where the goal is to get you to think so highly of God that you forget about yourself. Now go give someone what you value most today. Today.